Okay, let's turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 1. We're going to continue in our series through this letter to Titus, written by Paul. And as you're turning there, quick story about our vacation. So we were spending some time by the beach, and there was a group of teens who shall remain nameless, except for the fact that two of them have to live in my house and may be here this morning. This group of teens was hanging out in the water, body surfing, having a good time swimming, and they would collect on the sandbar. And on more than one occasion, they got the attention of the lifeguard because inevitably, they would begin to drift from this sandbar and that lifeguard would get on his whistle. Now, have you guys heard a lifeguard whistle recently? Like, I feel like I need one of these things. I feel like in a house of seven, now eight people with a friend living with us, I feel like it gets loud, and those things are piercingly loud. Like, hundreds of people, you get on that thing, and everybody's attention, you have it. So we're sitting on the beach, and this lifeguard gets on this whistle. The issue was, these kids were in danger because right beyond that sandbar, there was a huge drop-off. So these kids were literally playing next to a cliff. That image of a lifeguard with a piercing whistle blowing, saying, Yo! Danger! Come back! That's the image I want us to have in mind as we read this text. That's what Paul is doing here. Paul is blowing the whistle. He's getting our attention. He's getting the attention of Titus and the early Christians, and he's trying to say, Yo! Danger! Look at chapter 1, verse 10. This is God's word. Let's give our attention to the word of the Lord. Titus 1, verse 10. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they're upsetting whole families by the teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. God, we pray together right now that You would use Your Word this morning for its intended purpose. Help us. Lord, help us as individuals, help us as a church to be on guard against anything that would draw us away from you, for your glory and for the good of your church. Amen. So last week, we learned of Paul's ministry strategy. When you think of the Apostle Paul going out in the ancient world, he's got a strategy, a missionary strategy for his world. And that strategy was... Get the right leaders in the right place and teaching the right thing. Healthy churches are planted when the right leaders are in the right place teaching the right things. 
These verses now are in direct contrast to Paul's strategy. He's saying, yo, he's blowing his whistle saying, yo, danger, because the church is being infected by the wrong leaders in the wrong places teaching the wrong things. That's what Paul is trying to address in this text. Healthy churches, what we learn here is that healthy churches, not only is it important for us to establish the right leaders, healthy churches must also have a zero tolerance for the wrong leaders. To be a healthy church, Brandon Grace, to be a healthy New Testament church, we have to have zero tolerance for the wrong leaders. Now, Isaac, last week, he, his structure, if you remember, if you listen to the message, his, his structure was, who are the elders and why are there elders? So because this is in contrast to what Paul just said, I'm going to use the same structure. Who are these wrong leaders? And why are they dangerous? Who are they? Why are they dangerous? So first, who, who are these guys? Who are these wrong leaders, these false teachers? First, Paul describes them in verse 10 as being insubordinate. And so these are men who would have rejected Paul's apostolic, his, his authority as an apostle. They would have said, we're out on that. We're not going to submit our lives to Paul's authority, nor will we submit our lives to his teaching and his doctrine. They're insubordinate. They're empty talkers and deceivers, he said. We're going to get to that in a minute. And he says, especially those of the circumcision party. Now, do you guys, do you guys remember that space up there? Remember we actually used to meet inside, comfy chairs, air conditioning? We studied the book of Galatians. So you're all scholars and pros on the book of Galatians. Who We talked a lot about the circumcision party. Who are the circumcision party? Who are these people? Shout it out if you remember who these people are. They're Judaizers. Okay, good. They're people of Jewish, Jewish ethnicity, Jewish background and descent. And essentially, they had a Jesus plus message. They were likely claiming to be Jesus followers, but they had a Jesus plus message. In other words, they said, yes, faith in Jesus, you have to have that. Plus, you also have to abide by some of the Old Testament Mosaic teachings in order to really be God's people. That's who the Judaizers was, were. That's who the circumcision party was. So we know at least this much about them. They're Jesus plus teachers. They're insubordinate. They're teaching a Jesus plus message. And then Paul says they're deceptive. Now this is a big one. This is a big one. If you study closely this text, you see repeated the idea of lying and deceit and true and truth. Paul is getting at something here. This is a major issue. When we opened the letter and Paul told us, introduced us to God, he said he's a God who what? What kind of a God is he? Titus 1 verse 2. He's a God who does not lie. This is major in Crete. Paul is saying the God of the Bible is different than any gods you might happen to worship, any gods who are in your cultural worldview. This God is different than that. He's a God who doesn't lie. He's wanting to establish elders who are above reproach, who are honest, who are trustworthy, because that's how God is. The problem was that's not how Cretans were. Cretans were known liars. 
There was a verb in the ancient world, in the ancient Greek world, kratidzo. It meant to play the part of a Cretan, to be a liar, to be deceptive. That was like part of the cultural norm. Cretans believed that the gods were born on their island. Like they had claim to the god, the formation of their ancient Greek gods. The, the burial ground of Zeus, they said, were, is here, here on our island, to which everybody else in the ancient world disagreed. Their version of Zeus, for all of his great virtues, also had a main presenting vice. What was it? Deception. Their version of Zeus was that he was a very seductive womanizer who deceived women by actually playing the part of their husbands. So baked into the Cretan worldview was this notion that lying and deception, like, that's just common trade. Like, it's no big deal. That's why, God, that's why Paul is making such an intense argument. Lying is not okay. We worship a God who doesn't lie. We appoint leaders who don't lie. And the main problem, one of the main issues about who these guys are is they're deceptive liars. He goes on to say, their motive is for what? Verse 11, they're upsetting whole families by teaching for what? Shameful gain. So... Who are these guys? They're deceptive, they're unsubmissive to Paul's authority, and they're only in it for the money. They don't care about the people they're teaching to. They care about what's in their pockets. They're in it for the money. Now Paul does something brilliantly here. He, he doesn't go to the Bible to kind of prove his argument. He goes to a quote from an ancient philosopher, somebody that would have been well-known in their day. Who exactly it is, we're not sure. Epimenides is claimed to have said something like this. He was an ancient scholar, philosopher guy. He's the person, potentially, that Paul is quoting here in verse 12. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Okay, they're deceptive. They prey on people for their own selfish advantage. They don't care about the people that they're leading. They're in it for the money. They're in it for themselves. And they're known liars. So in short, what Paul is saying here, who are these wrong leaders? They're men who perfectly fit the stereotype of their culture. That's who these men are. They're men who are totally bought in to their deceptive cultural norms. They're men who are completely like all of the negative aspects of their cultural norms. And Paul says, if you see those men leading in the church, you should have zero tolerance for these men. Why? Because healthy churches have zero tolerance for the wrong leaders. Because as the leaders, so go the people. Paul's getting on his whistle. He's feeling a measure of responsibility for these churches that he's planted. And he loves these people. And so he's on his whistle saying, yo, danger. You are literally playing next to a theological cliff. And I've got to warn you because I love you. I've got to warn you because my whole intent is to ensure that healthy New Testament churches have the right leaders in place teaching the right things, and now the wrong leaders are in place teaching the wrong things. That's who these men are. Now, I'm so glad this morning that I don't have to publicly rebuke 
one of our elders or leaders. Like that would be a pretty awkward transition right now, right? Would so-and-so come up on the stage, we're going to have a public rebuking. That would be odd. But it wouldn't be unbiblical. I'm so grateful this morning. You know, church, I don't have to tell you this. You know that as leaders, as elders, we are not perfect men. We're not perfect women leading our missional communities, serving as elders, serving as deacons. We are not perfect men and women. But I can honestly tell you that we're men who are seeking to submit our lives to the authority of God's word and to the transformative grace of God that we find in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But that being said, our church is not beyond the danger that's written here. Our church is never going to be beyond the danger of false teachers coming up from within. Remember what Paul said in Ephesians or to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20. He said, I'm, I'm sure, I am sure that I'm going to leave this place and there are wolves that are going to come and devour you as Christians. And he says, I'm sure of this, that they're going to come from within your own selves. That's why Paul issues the charge to elders to keep a close watch on their lifestyles and on their doctrines because he's sure that one of the greatest dangers that we face, that all New Testament churches face, is that dangers that come from within, from leaders who have completely bought into the world, who, whose lifestyles look no different from the world, and who prey on God's people for selfish gain. Paul says this is commonplace. Now, praise God, we, we don't have that. I, I honestly don't believe. I believe that men and women in this church that occupy leadership roles are men and women, like I said, who are submitting their lives to Jesus and to his transformative power. We're not perfect, but I don't feel any pressure this morning to warn you and to publicly rebuke false teachers in our midst. But there is something in this text that really does catch my attention. And it's the word many. In verse 10, Paul says, there are many. That gets my attention. It gets my attention because in our informational age, you know this, there are many, many voices, many leaders, many speaking right now in all types of contexts and platforms. And you know as well as I do that they're not all speaking the right things. There are many voices out there, political voices, religious voices, spiritual voices, social voices, many, many people talking. And while we're not supposed to be this like group of suspicious people of all the things that are out there, we're called as Christians to be discerning. That's the call that's embedded here for the Christians of Crete. They're, they need to be discerning. They need to know when they're hearing something, and something's not right. I'm stepping in something, and it doesn't quite smell right. Now, we're not a dog family. Much to my daughter and my wife's great sadness. Like, I'm always hearing about how we need to get a dog, and dogs are so cute, and... And I'm just like, listen, I got five kids that are already making so many messes around here. I can't keep up with them. Why am I going to bring a dog into this chaos? Don't even get me started. I'm getting off here. What am I saying? We're not a dog family. We're not a dog family. 
But I will tell you that every single one of us knows immediately when someone comes into our house who has stepped in dog poop, we all know it. It's like our nostrils are so accustomed to like the fresh air, the, the non-dog air, that the moment dog poop comes into our house, we know it immediately. That's how we're supposed to be as Christians. The moment we step in some type of doctrinal doo-doo, immediately we smell it. We might not know exactly what's wrong with it. We might not know how to go to the Bible and scripture and verse to defend the truth against it. But we know something just doesn't smell right with this. Something is off here. I can't completely detect it, but something is off. And friends, the only way, the only way to cultivate that type of discernment is you have to know this book. You've got to know God's word. Because it's by practicing, it's by hearing, it's by listening, it's by applying that our muscles of discernment are strengthened so that when something falls, when we step in theological doo-doo, we smell it. Something's not right here. That's what we're called to in this. That's what this text is implying for us as Christians. We, we're called to be discerning. The discerning are going to be able to detect a false leader when he's in place. So we're looking at why, I'm sorry, who? Who are these people? Who are these wrong leaders that Paul is warning against? They're insubordinate, they're deceptive, they're in it for the money, and they're completely fulfilling the stereotype of the people of their day. These are who Paul is warning against. So that's who they are. Let's talk about why are they dangerous. Why are they dangerous? Paul seems to be mainly concerned about what's coming out of these leaders' mouths, their talk, their teaching. That's what's dangerous. They were infecting the church with unhealthy doctrine. Now, exactly what they were teaching, we're not quite sure, but I think there's enough in the text that helps us to get close to what likely their message was. We already know they were part of the circumcision party. So they were, as I said, teaching some type of Jesus plus message. That was one aspect of their teaching. Secondly, Paul here says that there, he mentions a devotion to Jewish myths. So these were likely speculations like character studies of the Old Testament and their genealogies in chapter 3 in Titus. He talks about arguments over genealogies like family tree type stuff. Okay, so these, these tales, these fables that they would perpetuate, these speculations about this person or that person, likely they would also subtly imply in that some type of a justification for their immoral behavior. That's what these Jewish, Jewish myths were doing, propagating. Paul says that they also taught the commandments of men. So rather than teaching the commands of God from his word, they were adding to the word of God by developing their own traditions and their own teachings and teaching them with unauthorized authority. In the book of Colossians, in chapter 2, Paul details a little bit more of what this could possibly have been. He's quoting their false teaching. He's saying, they say things like, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. 
all according to human traditions and man-made teachings. And Paul says these teachings, these human teachings, these commands of men, they have the appearance of wisdom. They have the appearance of godliness. They have the appearance of treating the body severely and aesthetically so that you can have an external type of devotion, an external type of righteousness, but they're of no value. That's why Paul calls them empty words, empty talkers, because they, they're worthless. The words that are coming out of their mouths are worthless. They don't build up the people of God at all. They're empty talkers who are focusing people's attention not on the righteousness that comes from God as a gift. They're focusing people's attention on the righteousness that they earn by their diets, by following certain traditions, by being in the right place at the right time. All external things. Jesus had some very severe words for people who focused on those things. He warned the church against following people who are teaching external righteousness. These people were leading, these teachers were leading people astray by focusing them not on the righteousness that comes from God by faith, but on a righteousness that they earn on their own good works, on their own good merit. That's why these teachers, friends, are dangerous. At the very basis of their teaching, they completely miss the gospel. And if you get the gospel wrong, everything else is wrong from there on out. If you have the gospel wrong, if wrong leaders are in the wrong place teaching the wrong gospel, then everything else is wrong. Everything. If you get the gospel wrong, everything else in your church inevitably will go south. That's why these are so dangerous. These teachers are so dangerous. We're going to see throughout this letter two specific times when Paul, this letter is really a call to godliness. It's a call to conform our lives to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And Paul twice will explicitly root the call to godliness in the gospel. He does that explicitly in chapter 2 and then explicitly in chapter 3. But look how he does it right here in verse 15. To the pure, all things are pure. This is the teaching of Jesus. Jesus said, you know what, you Pharisees, you hypocrites, you focus on washing the outside of the plate and the outside of the cup, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You fools, you hypocrites, wash the inside of the cup, wash the inside of the plate, and then the outside will be clean as well. Jesus is not talking about cups and plates. He's talking about an internal righteousness. He's talking about being pure on the inside, being clean on the inside. And these false teachers were teaching, as long as you're externally in a spot where you look clean, you're all good. And Paul is saying, those are dangerous teachings. You're missing the gospel. In verse 5 of chapter 3, Paul says, we have not been saved by works done by us in righteousness, but by the washing and the regeneration of God, the washing of God, the renewal of the Holy Spirit. So how are we pure? How are we clean? How are we made righteous before God? Not by works that we do, but by God's work done on us. 
He washes us in the blood of Jesus Christ. He cleanses us. He gives us his Holy Spirit who constantly cleanses us from our inner pollutions. That's how we're made righteous. God cleanses us in the blood of Christ. He gives us the righteousness, the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. That becomes ours. He gives us his Holy Spirit who constantly works in our lives to cleanse and renew us. That's how we're made clean, by a work of God. Not by our work. Church, that's the gospel. If you get that wrong, if we get that wrong, no matter how good our church looks on the outside, at the core, we're going to be rotten. That's what's happening here. These teachers are saying, so long as you've got these external purity laws in place, you're good to go. And Paul is saying, you are dead wrong. Your righteousness has to be inside. Your purity has to be inside. Because if you're renewed from inside, externally it will show. But if you reverse that, you're dead wrong. Do you hear Paul blowing his whistle? He's saying, yo, too far, danger, come back. You're missing the gospel. These teachers were claiming to be Christian, but they missed the fundamental message of Christianity. They were claiming to promote Christianity, but they got the fundamental message of Christianity totally wrong. They were off on the gospel. And so Paul is correcting them. He's bringing them back. He's trying to reason with Titus and with these believers because the gospel is at stake. Do you see why these deep leaders were dangerous? In an excellent explanation of verse 15, Philip Towner in his commentary on Titus, he explains how they were able to do this how these false teachers were able to continue doing this. This was so helpful because it, it exp explains how the gospel actually gets worked on in our lives. This is how it works. Connor says that faith is belief in the gospel, which goes on to inform conduct. Okay, so when we hear about Jesus and all that he's done to save us, we believe that message. And it's that faith that begins to form a certain conduct, and this is how. The mind is engaged with that faith, and that mind, based on the Spirit's indwelling us and the Word of God, that mind begins to accept the truth of who Jesus is, endorse the truth of who Jesus is, and then start to build an ethical framework, Towner says, an ethical framework by which we begin to leave, by which we begin to live. Okay, so there's an ethical, there's Christian ethics now that our minds are forming, categories of thought that we now live in. And he says our conscience endorses that framework, endorses those ethics, because when we make morally correct decisions, there's an inner peace. When we make morally incorrect decisions, there's inner turmoil. That's how the conscience works. So that's how the gospel operates in our lives to form godliness. The faith that we believe in Jesus, the mind becomes engaged and builds an ethical framework, and then the conscience endorses that ethical framework by living morally correct lives. However, if you get belief wrong, everything else is wrong, and that's what these people were doing. It says they were unbelieving, verse 15. They were unbelieving. Submissive, they were insubordinate to Paul's message. So they, from the very beginning, their faith was not in the pure gospel. 
And so Tanner goes on to say, because they rejected the faith, their minds were deluded, they approved false doctrine, and their consciences were faulty. Instead of pricking them when they went astray or taught something that was false, they endorsed it. Their conscience, their inner man, was endorsing the teachings that they were teaching and living by. They were completely and totally faulty. These men were dangerous because they claimed to know the way of truth, and they taught lies. They claimed to be spokesmen for God, but they were detestable before God. They were disobedient to God, and they were unfit for God in every way. Paul had zero tolerance for leaders like this in the church, and church, so should we. Zero tolerance for the wrong leaders in the wrong place teaching the wrong things. But something that I notice here, and we're going to close with this, is that Paul was not smug towards these people. He wasn't smug. Do you see what he says? He says, rebuke them sharply. Why? Why? That they may be sound in the faith. I think Paul remembered who he was. He remembered that he himself was a Jew who used to go around killing Christians, rallying them up and taking them to prison, sometimes slaughtering Christians. Paul, Paul remembered who he was. And he goes on in chapter 3 to remind the Cretans who they were. You guys were a mess when Jesus found you. Paul's not smug towards these false teachers, and neither should we be. Because he knows where he's come from, and we should know where we come from. Now, maybe this morning you're not out teaching false doctrine. Maybe you're not out there promoting legalism in some way. But maybe this morning, if you're honest, you know inside yourself that there has been a departure in some way. You feel compromised in some way. You feel like, you know what, the influences of the world are getting down in deep in ways that I never thought they would, but that's where I find myself now. Can I remind you of the hope of the gospel? The hope of the gospel is no matter where you've been, no matter what you have done, no matter who you've been with, there is precious, redeeming, forgiving love in the person of Jesus Christ. If we turn away from our sin and turn towards him, he promises us to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is the hope of the gospel. That is the good news that Paul is protecting here. You see, that's the reason, friends, that's the reasons why we should not have any tolerance. We should have zero tolerance for the wrong leaders, not because we're like the offenders of the truth. No. We have zero tolerance for false leaders because I don't want anything. We should not want anything to dilute that good news I just got done preaching. Nothing should impede that. Nothing should hinder that. The church should always be a highway on which sinners can come freely to God through Jesus Christ and know without a doubt they're accepted by God in his presence because of all that Jesus has done lovingly to save us. That's why we have zero tolerance for the wrong leaders because it's about the gospel. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ and the saving news that we as men and women and children can be forgiven and restored to him, not on the basis of what we've done, but because he loves us, because he did it for us. He died. He rose again. He's coming again. He's coming to get 
us as his children. Church, that's, that's what I want our church always to be. I want our church always to be a place where we can come together and in an undiluted, unhindered way, hear the saving grace that's found in Jesus Christ. Because it's the Christ of the gospel. It is the Christ of the gospel. It is our connection with him. That's what makes us pure. That's what makes us pure. Jesus is the source and the power of our salvation, and Jesus is the source and power of our transformation. If we are connected with him, we're safe before God. It's that message that we want always preached here. It's that message that Paul is zealous for, and we, should to be, we also should be as well. Amen? Amen. Let's sing. Tom is going to come and help us to sing in response to God's grace to us in Jesus Christ.